Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hello, my friends, and welcome to this, another episode of the Rotor Road Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris, joined as always on this midweek episode by Denny Carter. And Patrick Darty, gentlemen, how are we, Denny? I actually want to ask you. Yeah. Uh, since you're somewhat new to this program, what are your overall thoughts on fall? On, he, on you fall. know he's going to have terrible opinions on fall. Don't even ask him about <laughs> this. <laughs> that, I, that is what I'm supposed to do: is incite and uh, hope someone else creates awful opinions on the show that I don't have to be in charge of. Well, listen, I I was brought on to have bad opinions, and I and I will <laughs> I will do that. At any cost, uh, fall. So um, I, I think the idea of fall is nice. I, I, I love the idea of fall. This is already off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the the changing leaves, the temperate weather. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the 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 stuff, the pumpkins, the apple picking, whatever. Okay, like lots of really nice ideas. Happiness, right? <laughs> but fall is really just joy, greatness. general quality of life. Right. Grayness, uh, shortening days and cold and windy weather and, and mostly just rain here in the mid Atlantic here in the mid Atlantic. It's just gray, cold and windy the whole uh, fall. So, so that the idea is nice. The reality is not as nice. Hmm. I'm not going to ask you because I don't want to take up this entire podcast, but if I were to guess among the four seasons, Fall would probably be in the bottom half of that list. And you don't, don't reveal the rest of the list, but it would be <laughs> among the bottom half of that list. Correct? No, no, no. What? Mm-mm. Are there any good seasons in your opinion, Denny? Just, just life stinks in general. <laughs> just, just summer. Just <laughs> summer is the list of good seasons. Just summer, huh? Yeah. Right. And then, so, so it's good. Summer, fall. Uh, yeah. Spring, winter. Winter is obviously the worst. <laughs> so that it was that negative for the second best season of all. <laughs> uh, no, but, but okay, but I'm I'm also like big into Halloween. So I, I do I do like some things, you know. Um but I, I make sure that I ruin uh everything for myself. So that, that includes the seasons. <laughs> the longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.
Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. I will say fall is underrated for the wind. There is a lot of wind with the changing seasons. And I'll also say it's not as bad as Denny's opinion on cheese, uh, which we can never oh, no. get into. That has to be on a different different podcast. But I wanted to start the podcast today with a quick little story about our podcast. Um, you know, I've been a, a COVID-19 hawk. Like I try to not leave the house really for only – try to leave for only essential reasons – and uh, one of those reasons was to, since I'm an old man, I don't download video games where I still go buy the physical copy and yeah. I had to go buy the new copy of FIFA last night. I went to buy FIFA 21 at my local Target and I was standing in line in the electronics section. Mom and Pop an, Shop. Yeah. Yeah. You know, a little, it, I don't think they have, I think those are only in St. Louis. Um, and standing behind a nice young couple in line buying a 70 inch television. Sorry to reveal that detail. Uh uh, you'll hear the rest of it. Buying a 70-inch television, waiting to purchase my game. Uh, another employee comes and takes me away to purchase my game. Uh, you know, to tell him what I need, I have to start talking and, you know, using my voice. Uh, yeah. And so we're over there getting the FIFA out of the case. And the guy who I'd been standing behind in line came up to me and asked me if I was Rotopat. Wow. From, from the Roto World podcast. No way. And uh, I'm dead serious. So and, what was what was your re- response and, and reaction in that moment? Because <laughs> just to the surprise of everyone out there, that probably doesn't happen very often. Uh, no, and it's happened three or four times ever, uh, twice at conventions, and then one other time at a bar in my hometown. It did happen, uh, but yeah, you know, I've been I've been a niche celebrity in like a Twitter micro community <laughs> for about ten years. <laughs> And yeah, I've been recognized twice, one of which was last night at the Cave Springs Target. Uh, his name is uh, Jordan Cavett from St. Charles, Missouri. Wow. And uh, he seems to listen to every podcast. He, the first other person he mentioned was Denny, by the way, not Josh. <laughs> so. I mean, what, this is the second time in uh, the last five months that something like this has happened. I have literally appeared on... 200 something straight episodes of the show. And when I met someone who listens to the show and follows all of you, he had no clue who I was. And then Pat, once again, you meet someone who listens to every single episode. I am on every single, what am I even doing here? Am I just like the person who you you can't understand? You need more. Yeah. You need just more terrible opinions. I guess you got to go on the record about disliking fall. Got to go on the record next week about disliking cheese. Uh, but yeah, I wanted to give a shout out to Jordan Cavett, one of the only people ever, and probably will remain one of the only people ever to recognize me in real life. Uh, I did a, it was a very flattering, uh, amazing moment for me. 
I'm like the teacher in Charlie Brown, just the the voice you just simply cannot understand. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, here's my monologue. This is what the podcast is about today, even though all of you, I guess, bypassed this section of it and just did the Pat and Denny's part. Uh, look, we are a third the way through the season. And yes, I am rounding up because some of us like it when the season moves a little bit forward. Um, most teams have finished five games this season, yet despite those five weeks, we still have plenty of important questions that need to be answered. So hopefully, again, we don't know what the other people are going to bring up as their questions today. We might overlap, but the goal is to have six questions by the end of this that we still want answered. And maybe we'll, you know, ask those questions and hopefully get some answers along the way. Denny Carter, want to start us off today? I do. My my first question, and, and I, I feel like I need to know this for, you know, most of my fantasy teams is Matt Ryan finished? Is he done? Uh, or is it just Julio being out? And if that's the case, then it doesn't seem like Julio is going to be healthy anytime soon, even though, you know, they held him out rightfully this past week. Um, you know, it's, I mean, this is going to affect how we uh, use players and roster players outside of Calvin Ridley. He's the only safe option. And on, uh, honestly, you know, after that Monday night game a couple weeks ago in, against the Packers, maybe, maybe that's an overstatement. So we're, you know, we're talking about uh, uh, Zacchaeus. Uh, we're talking about Hayden Hurst, uh, talking about uh, Russell Gage, right. And do, uh, can we play these guys anymore? If, if Matt Ryan is cooked, I, I don't, I, I don't know. And it's, it's, it's honestly killing me fantasy wise. Me too. And the one reason maybe for hope is that because most of this has happened with Julio Jones, you know, not at a hundred percent. And this has been killing me because yeah, I, Julio Jones was a value quote unquote this year, like he is every single year. Right. And he is uh, sinking uh, my main team right now and really need Julio to get back healthy. And hopefully Julio getting back healthy will change this up. But I mean, this, this does go back to last year with Matt Ryan. And mm-hmm. I actually wrote about this in my Sunday column. And I swear I did not know Denny was going to bring this up. But I have a stat based on this. Um, where Matt Ryan has not been the same since his high ankle sprain last year. And mm. I believe it was six, six, five or six, maybe seven starts last year. He was completing 71% of his passes, 7.6 yards per attempt. He had 15 touchdowns in seven games. And in the 13 games since then, it's down to 62.6% completion percentage. Yards for attempt all the way down to seven has nine interceptions and 13 starts. And just, you know, last year in particular, he was just not moving well whatsoever after the injury. I don't know if I've noticed that quite as much this year, but he's had protection issues for several years. He's been amongst the most sacked quarterbacks in the league three or four years. And it's possible. Yeah. He's just physically diminished now. Yeah. You know, we're not too far away from a 35 touchdown season in 2018, Mm -hmm. obviously that 38 touchdown passing season in 2016. But regardless of those, I mean, you have a lot of 28, 26, 21, 20, 26 touchdown seasons from Matt Ryan. And I'm never going to say that Matt Ryan was, you know, like a product of the offense, but it has always helped to have an outstanding talent. One of, you know, the generation's best, at wide receiver in, in Julio Jones. And we've seen him have other pass catching options um, around that. I, I really like Calvin Ridley. Obviously he has at points been the number one overall wide receiver in fantasy this season. Um, but, you know, as a quarterback gets older and I understand like some of these quarterbacks are kind of opening the window and widening the window of success across the NFL, but on some level, 
I do believe that the team around you has an impact on on your play, right? And I think Matt Ryan is is in that area where he's not just going to put up monster numbers when the Falcons are bad. And the Falcons are worse this year than they've even been the last two years. And last year they were really bad and they finished, you know, in a Dan Quinn special of in terms of winning towards the end of the season. They were bad for for much of the year. So I, I just don't think that Matt Ryan now has the ability to have like individual isolated performances that we still care enough about, despite how bad the team is. And again, they're 0 and five this season. Yeah, it's it's uh, also an issue for people who who drafted Matt Ryan as an every week starter, you know, uh, and and just said, okay, fine, like I didn't get you know the 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 top guys at value, so I'm just going to wait on Matt Ryan in a pass heavy offense that'll probably have to throw a lot, and he has those two great weapons in Julio and Ridley. You know, and now he doesn't have the one <laughs> and and uh, who knows when Julio will be back. So I've, I've been telling people, you know, uh, living the stream listeners that you, you should right now feel free to to stream over Matt Ryan, stream the quarterback yeah. position. If guys, you know, like Ryan Fitzpatrick are are available on your waiver wire. He's the quarterback 23 right now in fantasy points per game. And not to like jump on anyone other's question here, but, you know, Lamar Jackson is outside of that top 12 quarterback list right now as well. So is Matthew Stafford. So is Carson Wentz. Done, done, done. (laughs) So so is Drew Brees. I mean, what I'm saying is heading into the year, we always say that week to week quarterback is, you know, the most predictable production that we can base ourselves on in, in fantasy. But you know, heading into the season, all those players that I just mentioned were being drafted in the top 12 quarterbacks. And I'm not saying they're unusable now, but they're not difference makers at the position. And and that's something where we didn't expect, you know, Justin Herbert to be this high. We didn't expect Josh Allen to be obviously the number three of our quarterback. We didn't expect Ryan Fitzpatrick to be among the top 12. And I could keep going on and on down that list. So I, I'm with you, Denny. Just overall, the quarterback position has been an interesting one other than a lot of the names that we expected, right. And Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes, right. Dak before Kyler, so on and so forth. It's, it's, it's been enlightening to say the least. For sure. Pat, take us away. Does Adam Gase deserve an extension for winning his power struggle with Le'Veon Bell? <laughs> uh, let's get into this folks. No. Um, by the way, Josh and Denny had to hear this joke twice because I had an aneurysm giving the answer the first time <laughs> and I had to move on. But now my real question is who is the Steelers number one receiver going to be going for Juju Smith Schuster, his usage has completely changed. Uh, His average intended air yards so far this season is 5.1, which is the third lowest mark for any pass catcher in the NFL. He's better only uh, than Evan Ingram and uh, Larry Fitzgerald. You know, Larry Fitzgerald, who we talk about is basically like one foot in the grave in terms of fantasy value. And Juju just being used completely differently by far kind of, I don't know what the right word is, the biggest victim of the change in Ben Roethlisberger's style of play, you know, more conservative, higher efficiency Ben Roethlisberger. And so weird things are happening with Juju Smith-Schuster. And it appeared it was Deontay Johnson passing him on the depth chart in weeks one and two, where he cleared 10 targets both times. But now Deontay, each of the past two games he's played, has left with an injury, a different injury both times too. So not some like lingering injury that he's aggravated two different injuries and leaving this huge opportunity for Chase Claypool, who I think we can say took it and ran with it last week. And Chase Claypool is someone I didn't quite know what to make of heading in NFL because he has like the freakish athleticism, but he looks like a tight end. Uh, but it turns out that is translating into just like freakish Calvin Johnson mm-hmm. type ability. And 
one game is one game, but he entered the game averaging 25 yards per catch. And I think even if it's one game, you have to take notice when a player scores four touchdowns, should have been five, a 42-yard touchdown called back by a soft offensive pass interference penalty. And I just feel like, I mean, thankfully it's jumbled with high-end talent, but I feel like we just have no idea who's going to emerge victorious as the Steelers' number one receiver. Yeah, Kyle and I in the recap show, Pat, figured out the recipe for Chase Claypool, and it's Martavis Bryant with the ball in his hands and Vincent Jackson uh, in terms of contested catches. Not bad. Not bad. Um, From a team perspective, from a big picture perspective, Pat, I say who cares who the number one wide receiver is? Like this is a nice problem to have from an offense that we went to as one of the worst last year that I think we've all forgotten about by now, which is incredible. Been memory Um, hold. Yes, to to now deploying three wide receivers who are potentially among, and I know that I'm throwing, you know, Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson here potentially very early, but top 24 options across the league at wide receiver. The limited volume that Chase Chase Claypool has seen so far this season: 19 targets, 13 receptions, in comparison to 28 to Deontay, despite that missed time, like you mentioned, or the 25 targets to Juju is that he leads his team in air yards. He's second in yards after catch, and he's easily first in receiving yards. And that's despite, I mean, his yards after catch is, is insane. It's just behind Juju. Yet, like you mentioned, Juju has a 5.1 A dot. Meanwhile, Chase Claybaugh has a 14.3 A dot. Like this is, this is an offense that going into the season was obviously an extreme value. Now moving forward, I'm not going to say it's an extreme value, Again, it's one that has a very nice problem, Denny, and I'm not sure if we need to really pigeonhole who is the number one wide receiver because it might change on a weekly basis based on what the coverage allows. I mean, for fantasy purposes, I would love to know if someone you know <laughs> sure. could, could just, could just slip me a note and say Claypool is the guy from from here now. I mean, honestly, you know, uh, I was talking about this the other day when I question who is the number one Steelers receiver, Juju doesn't really come to mind anymore and no. and so it's either you know i think that we can narrow it down it's either claypool or it's or it's deontay johnson maybe there'll be one a one b when they're both healthy if if johnson can never can never get right and get healthy i mean he's he's hurt a lot um so i i think i think claypool's emergence it could, could be a lot of fun you know a lot of a lot of fun for fantasy purposes i think it could be really bad uh for for juju smith schuster and i say this actually and i know he has a matchup this week against the Browns who really struggle with slot receivers. So uh, I understand that Juju could go off this week, but overall I think it's, it's probably not, not so great for him. Now, Pat, another big picture thought here, this might be the Steelers window to win because whereas Juju and I agree with you, Denny, that I think Deontay when healthy is above him. If, if we are trying to rank their wide receivers, but they haven't signed him to a long-term deal. He wants a long-term deal. It seems like, at least from the media reports, that they're not willing to do that. And with how the rookie Chase Claypool is performing, those can be, with Deontay, the two pass-catching options, the primary ones moving forward. So if this is your window to win, Pat, with Juju and paying him on the final year of his deal, that is what is fascinating to me, that if this team is good enough to win it all this year, because that's kind of what you're building towards with this wide receiver trio. Yeah, it's when the Steelers media has basically like written Juju's ticket out of town. Like he's not coming back. And maybe that could almost lead to an opposite dynamic where he gets further phased out of the offense because he's not the future there. That probably won't happen because he can be so, 
so valuable out of the slot. But yeah, I mean, there's just a lot we don't know. And Juju, and there was this weird vibes on Juju coming into the season, Mm -hmm. mostly because of the Steelers media kind of hinting at this kind of stuff. And yeah, it is happening. And it's such a young player with such an impressive early career resume. It's to say, I would like to know, guys. I would just like to know who the Steelers' number one receiver is. I want to know if the Rams have the right formula to once again be the NFC representatives in the Super Bowl. And we've talked about it a lot. It feels like every single episode, but I want to bring it up again. That Sean McVay went back to the drawing board this offseason with new coordinators, you know, significant changes to his scheme. And this is what it has resulted in so far. A 3-1 and one record, number one rushing offense in DVOA, number seven passing offense in DVOA, number three passing defense in DVOA, and they are basically just inviting everyone to run on them. So by some metrics, formulating all of that, it is easy to suggest that this is the number two offense in the NFL through five weeks of the NFL season. But they are arriving it in a way that I feel like the football bubble that we're all plugged into probably too much suggests is not the best way to, to operate. It's not the best way to formulate an offense. You know, Jared Goff is the lowest in the NFL in terms of intended air yards per throw at 5.9. In fact, that is the lowest figure of any quarterback since the 2016 season. Mm. The Rams are bottom half in the NFL in neutral pass situations and pass rate over under expectation. Um, they're arriving at this desired outcome, Pat, that we all want offenses to be great, yet it's in a way that we have basically been told will not work. So, Will it work for the remainder of the season? Will it work as well as it has for the first five weeks? This is something I've been wondering all season because Jared Goff, you know, he like basically can't make a play unless there's not some sort of pre-snap motion. There's someone moving. It's play action. And you know, I've been making a very like normie football fan observation. I've done this to you several times, Josh. I'm like, why do teams like even still respect the play fake against the Rams? I'm like, to start selling out against like every other play fake and you'll get like a drive ending sack. You'll get like a 15 yard sack. And we actually did start to see a little bit of that, I believe maybe in the bills game. And then Jared Goff, you know, not an impressive statistical day against the giants. And this is a different kind of offense than what the Titans are running. But to me, it's kind of almost like the inverse of like what the Titans are trying to do. Like it's a very, uh, very efficient, but also like very low margin for error offense. And whereas like Ryan Tannehill, like his offense like springs him for lots of huge gains down the field. They're just basically not allowing that with Jared Goff anymore. Like it's it's like half his throws feel like they're behind the line of scrimmage. And I feel like this is a good off. It's maybe like a good regular season offense, which Hmm. is half the battle. You got to make the playoffs, but this is the kind of thing that I just feel like this kind of offense, this kind of approach eventually gets overexposed. And like, maybe like we're seeing it the 49ers now, like, the plan just can't be everything has to be yak. You know, you have to at some point have your quarterback hitting chunk gains down the field. And I feel like maybe the Rams are going to eventually going to box themselves into a corner with this approach. Right. I mean, it's a, it's fragile, right? I mean, it's, it's an extremely fragile approach to, uh, to putting up points. And, and I guess in this case with the Rams so far to winning. And I, I, i totally agree with, with everything Pat said. I think as soon as that plan unravels and they're not able to uh you know to conduct an offense like they have been conducting it uh if it whether they get behind or, or whatever the case may be they're going golf is going to struggle mightily um every you know I, I watched that rams washington game last week every 
uh, throw, like Pat said, was was very planned out. You know, was near the line of scrimmage, was very safe. Uh, hardly anything downfield. The one long completion was just Cooper Cup once again taking a short pass and and, and running 40, 50 yards downfield. Uh, and that that formula, I don't think, can work uh, against, especially against against good teams later in the season into the postseason. I, I'm honestly shocked that it's worked this well uh, so far. And I, but I think the Rams know that this is the only way that they 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 can run things right now with with golf. So you guys have taken a very pessimistic approach, which I appreciate. Good job. Because of that, I, I'll take an optimistic approach. Okay, when Sean McVay first joined the Rams, our expectations were extremely low. Right, yet. He figured out a way to use the talent optimally, including Jared Goff, including that offensive line, including the playmakers they had at the skill positions. And it was a lot of 11 personnel. It was a lot of things that the NFL really hadn't seen yet. I think the, the league at large, those of us on the outside, had soured a bit on McVay last year because it kind of became a bit stale. I wonder if he has now realized, okay, I went from doing all that to now once again being ahead of the game in this aspect. Like they've taken pet. You mentioned the Titans. They've taken like the best parts from the Titans right now. They're second in passes off play action in the NFL. And we know they are being very successful running the football. And instead of using one running back in Derek Henry, they're using three to minimize the wear, the wear and tear. Right. But then they're also taking like the best parts of drew Brees in terms of the low intended air yards per attempt. Um, and then they're even like taking some stuff from the Baltimore Ravens in terms of pre-snap motion and forcing defenses to show themselves and getting people on the run already with screens and swing passes and so on and so forth. I don't know. But at the end of it, it's kind of what you both have been saying, Pat. When I watch this team, it's not aesthetically pleasing. Like I don't enjoy watching it like I do watching the Chiefs of this year, the Seahawks from this year, the Ravens of last year, and all those offenses are are, are very different. But it's just fascinating to me that all the analytics point to this being one of the best offenses in the NFL. And yes, they've played the NFC East four out of the first five games of the season, but we can also point to Washington and, and the Eagles potentially having two of the best defensive lines in the NFL as well. Yeah, you hit on the real, like, you hit on what the, should the takeaway be is uh, Sean McVay has adjusted to the adjustments because, you know, last year the league adjusted to them and their offensive line played terribly and we didn't know what the answer would be. And he's found the answer. But then, yeah, to Denny and I's point, it's just he's basically like further down the rabbit hole now. Like, he's getting into like lower and lower margin for error territory. Mm-hmm. And this is, I mean, Sean McVay is a genius. He's an offensive genius. Like, that is, shouldn't have been up for debate even before the season. But if it was, it's definitely no longer up for debate. Like he's got answers, but maybe you, you reach a certain point with players where there's, there's no more manipulation that can be done. Yeah. We might be nearing that point with Jared Goff. And we've seen it that in those one and done scenarios, you need to have a quarterback who can make a play when everything else crumbles around him. Like we saw it with Jared Goff in his loss to the Patriots in the Super Bowl. We saw Jimmy Garoppolo in the fourth quarter last year against the Chiefs. Like Those two just seem to have the inability to do it, but getting to that game, like you said, Pat, is even more than half the battle. And if if McVay can come continue to coach his ass off, then, then that absolutely helps. Um, all right. Do we have enough to go one more time around, Denny? Sure. All right. I had a, a similar uh, question that Pat had only – uh, to, has, to, has to do with a slightly worse team than the Jaguars. Who is going to be, or who is now, 
the wide receiver one for Jacksonville. And, and I, I feel a little bit silly asking this question because it's such a bad team, but fantasy wise, I think it matters a lot because this is a team that uh, 73% of their yards this year have come through the air. Uh, there's really no scenario in which they're going to be able to run the ball th- this season because their defense is so bad. Uh, they're going to have to be pass heavy. They're going to throw Gardner Minshew is going to continue to drop back again and again in these, in these negative game scripts and throw it. And it would be great for one of these guys to emerge, uh, you know, uh, for good. And, and, you know, sometimes you see DJ Chark pop, but he's really not seeing a, a ton of targets. I know he missed a game and then parts of, of two others, but right now DJ Chark has a 14% target share, 14%. That's third on the team behind Keelan Cole and LaVisca Chenault, the rookie who they, they both have a 15% target share. Um, you know, I, I, personally, I would love to see Chanel emerge as, as the guy, as, you know, the, the leading target getter, uh, in that offense and, and his, you know, his, um, routes run on dropbacks and his, uh, snap share ha- have steadily increased over the past few weeks. So I think we may be seeing that. Um, but I would really just, just love to know who's, who's going to be number one there. Yeah, I almost went with that because as someone who has rostered DJ Shark is yeah. my number one receiver in my high stakes home league and has basically come home crying every single week and wondering why is, is DJ Shark worse than Keelan Cole now? I mean, we know he's not worse than Chris Conley because no one is worse than oh. Chris Conley. But I mean, is he is LaVisca Chenault? Yeah, I mean, is Chenault, Chenault, very classic fantasy development, by the way. Like, for like kind of no reason, the most hype player like in the entire world and whatever it was, week two or three. You know, and then completely busts, and then yeah. since then he has, this, yeah, he's now is emerging. Like after he already bankrupted everyone, uh, but he's now emerging, <laughs> and so that's good. And yeah, I would like to because it's very similar to the Steelers. Where uh, I mean, this is a little different than the Steelers because coming into the season there was even a little Deontay Juju scuttlebutt. Yeah. It wasn't really that with the Jaguars. It's like, oh man, DJ Shark, this would be great. Jay Gruden will scheme him very like high efficiency targets and. Instead, right. yes, yeah, and like one week of chaos after another when it comes to the target right. distribution. Yeah, I mean, the one thing we know for sure is that it's not Chris Conley, like you said, yeah, you know, know that. after that Dolphins game a few weeks ago. Yeah. There have been, a, I mean, I, I just don't care about the Jaguars. They do not, you know, factor into my life on a daily basis, which I'm forever <laughs> grateful for. But, you know, there have been a few fun things about them this year. I would say number one is James Robinson. Like mm-hmm. James Robinson is legit NFL running back who I think will be in our radars for years to come. This is a bit shocking to me, but Jacksonville's passing offense is 15th in offensive DVOA, DVOA right now. The run offense is 10th in offensive DVOA, yet the defense is dead last, yeah. like completely dead last. And, you know, we hear and come across these like blanket statements, again, in this football bubble that we are plugged into of defense doesn't matter. And I never know how to interpret these at times. Like, I feel like the real definition just has gotten lost in the ether over the last few years. But when your defense is that bad, it absolutely matters to your record. It matters to your success. And what also matters is Jay Gruden just having a brain aneurysm in the final like 10 yards to, to get to the end zone. I don't know if you guys saw that to James Robinson last oh, week. God. It was one oh, of the yeah. worst plays I've ever seen in my life. With It was fourth and one. They motioned Gardner Minshew out the slot or uh, out wide and then have James Robinson like in Wildcat, fake like he's going to run it, throw it. He has no idea what to do and then fumbles it and gives the football right over. Like you're not going to have that many opportunities to be in a scenario inside the red zone and to like pull that out of your back pocket and pet. 
Jay Gruden knows way more about football than I ever will. But at least that that gave me some feeling because typically the Jaguars, again, don't give me any feelings. So <laughs> if it's a high or a low, at least that that was one positive of Sunday. Hey, Jay Gruden's always been very good between the 20s, but his uh, Washington offenses were also kind of famous. Maybe it was more mm -hmm. Kirk Cousins really bogging down in the red zone. I mean, you got to defend that play because you got to say, you know, if they had converted it, then it would have been a meme play for years. You know, the Jaggy special. And uh, right. so that would have right. been amazing. Um, but yeah, it's, one of my late summer narratives I had on was it wasn't a fantasy one because I didn't trust him in fantasy like that maybe I had been disrespecting Gardner Minshew a little too much. Like when I dug more into the 2019 statistics and saw that, yeah, I mean, this maybe actually is more than just someone who was quote unquote good for a sixth rounder. And maybe he was just actually good. Mm -hmm. And we, is Gardner Minshew going to be the 2021 Jags quarterback at this point? Like I really thought there were extremely low odds of that coming into the season, but I mean, he seems like he might be an actual NFL quarterback. I think he could, I think he could be, uh, it, on a on a decent team, he could be he could be really good, <laughs> I, and I, I I it's weird saying that, but on a team that has some semblance of defense, uh, and and a, an okay running game, uh, I think that he's he's serviceable. He may he may make too many mistakes, you know, for a team that would want to be conservative like that. Um, but I yeah I don't think that it's uh it's impossible that he goes into next year as a team I, starter. I don't know. I remember sitting in that small studio that we have at NBC, Pat, and it was with Ian and it was with Daigle at the end of last season. And I mean, I simply stated that the Jaguars were not trying to win in 2020. And while we can get caught up in moments and, and players and games where that looks like that's not the truth. Overall, I think it is the truth. Like we just talked about the Steelers earlier on the show, you know, having the pieces aligned for this season to potentially make a run. That was never going to be the case with the Jaguars, with the defensive roster that they put on the field, you know, not caving to any of Yannick Ngakwe's promises, trading away last year, you know, all these cornerbacks, all these pieces that they've had. So this is either at best was going to be, you know, a league average season or what it's going to be now, which I think is one of the bottom in the NFL. And when you get to that point, you do have to question the quarterback that you do have, right? If, if he is the one that you can really build around. And I have no clue. I mean, I think quarterback evaluations are just a major crapshoot. But the Jaguars are an NFL football team. They are one of the 32 out there. But, Denny, I applaud you for caring about their <laughs> one wide receiver. And maybe it makes me a worse analyst because I simply do not. No, listen, it's a fact that they're an NFL team. That's they all I'm saying. <laughs> it's also a fact that they should have been the St. Louis Stallions. Look it up. St. Louis Stallions Wikipedia. Did not know that fact. Um, all right, Pat, you're up. Uh, are we going to get 2019 Matt Ryan or not Matt Ryan, Matthew <laughs> Stafford uh, at any point this season? Cause we haven't gotten it yet. You know, last year, Matthew Stafford was basically Jameis Winston who didn't turn the ball over extremely aggressive down the field while still maintaining efficiency while still hitting big plays. And you know, that just hasn't been has Adrian Peterson basically wrecked this whole Lions passing attack because his average intended air yards are still 9.2 and that's in the top 10, but it's a yard and a half shy of his 10.7 mark from last season, which led the league, which is a, was elite. And it was only half the season, but again, he was doing that without turning the ball over, like playing at a down low MVP level last year. And, and I was excited about it coming into the season. I know John Daigle and Hayden were both excited about it coming into the season. And just, are we going to get this Lions offense or has it fundamentally changed just by Adrian Peterson being there? And, 
we can hang our hat on. He's only had Kenny Galladay for two games, and that affects everything. That affects Matthew Stafford. It affects Marvin Jones because Marvin Jones has to deal with more defensive attention then. Uh, it affects TJ Hawkinson, the middle of the field, can have more defensive attention when Kenny Galladay isn't in the lineup. But it basically, can we get some of this high-flying Lions offense back from last season? Because if we're going to like 230 yard per game, Matthew Stafford, and like 25 carry Adrian Peterson – like that is just like Matt Patricia signing his Dan Quinn warrant and like getting himself fired. And you know, I want to see this, this Lions offense and I'm hoping uh, it makes an appearance. I stated at the top of the show, Pat, that we're going to have six questions. Uh, it turns out we're going to have five because you and I wrote <laughs> the same one down, but that's fine. Five questions through five weeks just rolls off the tongue. Uh, I'm with you. I mean, last year, Matthew Stafford's pace was 38 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. You know, his pace from those numbers, Pat, isn't that far off this year. 32 touchdowns and 12 interceptions if, you know, he continues on what he's doing so far. But, I mean, the quarterback scoring in fantasy is is quite different. He was on pace, like you mentioned, be like a top five, top seven scorer last year. Right now he's the quarterback 18 in fantasy points per game. And it's difficult because we thought that Daryl Bevel allowed Matthew Stafford just to throw down the field all he wants. And I do wonder, Denny, if, mm-hmm. you know, it was a Matt Patricia special. Being like, hey, you know, that was really fun that we got to see him for those seven or eight games last year, but that's not who we want to be. That's not this identity that we want to have. And I do wonder if, if Matt Patricia is the one reining this in from the top down, because it seems like Daryl Bevel has kind of always had this style. It was a little bit more open than usual, but he's kind of always had that in his back pocket. Yeah, I mean, I thought I thought we had fun Stafford back. You know, I thought we had uh, Stafford circa uh, 20. 11 you know uh but uh, no i mean it, and it's amazing what pat is saying if you if you think about what we're saying here we're saying that adrian peterson came in for 15 minutes before the season started and is now has the whole offense uh altered to fit his you know running style or or, or his usage i i mean what and we're, and this is the 2020 you know we're not talking about prime adrian peterson who you know, was, was cut for something and then, and then landed on a team and then becomes a centerpiece, whatever. This is, this is old, old Adrian Peterson, who is somehow still functional. And, and, and I'm not taking that away, but to, to base the offense uh, uh, around him and make it more conservative when you have these weapons and when you have a quarterback of Stafford's caliber is inexcusable. And I agree with Pat with, when he says that uh, Patricia is, you know, he's, he's, he's asking for the pink slip. Like yeah, this is a disaster. Uh, they have a great matchup this week against the Jaguars. Maybe they open it up a little bit. Maybe they stop uh, owning the libs with so many runs <laughs> with Adrian Peterson. I don't know. I don't know, but Patricia, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it's definitely Patricia for, I think for a guy like Patricia, the uh, uh, identity matters more than winning. So uh, you, you, you want to be a tough, hard nosed run first team. And if you win, eh, that's good. But but uh, but we'd rather just establish our identity. Yeah, Pat. I mean, we think about it, and we've even seen this, you know, just from being around the league for so long. Like there are good teams and there are bad teams. There are well-run teams. There are poorly-run teams. And the lines are just awful. And like we again, it hurts more because last year that wasn't the case for the first time in a long time, right? Mm-hmm. But they are just not built well. And that carries over. It's not just a year-to-year thing that can change. That is just a mindset, an identity, a foundation, a network that is either in place or it's not. And this is maybe simplifying it, but when you have a defensive-minded 
head coach who is supposedly a genius, and I'm sure he is. I mean, he did great things with the Patriots. But for year over year, over year, for your run defense to be like the last in the league, when like it doesn't matter what the rest of the team is like, if a team can just run all over you, then I, I don't know. I, I know nothing about football. I truly don't like I, I know nothing. But if you can't go into an offseason to fix the thing that should be the most fixable, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, and speaking to Matt Patricia's genius, I'm sure one of these days he'll get the Nick Foles led Eagles to punt. Uh, it didn't happen in the Super Bowl, but maybe mm-hmm. one of these days he'll force the punt against Nick Foles. Uh, but when it comes, to, listen, Matthew Stafford, he's not Tom Brady, he's not Peyton Manning, he's not Aaron Rodgers, but to have Matthew Stafford for whatever ten or eleven years and never win a playoff game, yeah. like you are doing something very very wrong because he is he is a very good NFL starting quarterback who his game progressed and evolved. Like he still kind of hits these big plays, but he cut out the turnovers and to never win a playoff game with Matthew Stafford is just yeah you are a bad franchise. It's inexcusable. And I mean they have spent they have tried to add to this offense. Right. I mean, they've spent multiple mid round picks and early round picks on running backs. They have Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay. They've tried to build up the offensive line. Like I could keep going on and on and on. They have to catch first tight end in the first Mm -hmm. round every other year. It's, but just the formula, the understanding of your identity, Pat, it just doesn't seem to, to align. And, you know, I'm not saying every team in the NFL is relevant. Uh, I am saying that the Lions just are irrelevant once again. And it hurts. It hurts based on that seven-game span that they showed last season. That's for sure. Um, okay, right, Denny, before we get out of here, mm-hmm. tell us who makes up the target decoder column, which people can hopefully find on the site right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, target decoder week six is out. Uh, the cover guy this week is DeAndre Swift. I talk about his uh, encouraging usage the last game the Lions played in, in week four. Uh, against the Saints, he, he had, saw an uptick in um, in snaps. He saw an uptick in pass routes. Uh, and, you know, carry on. Johnson got a little bit dinged up. Uh, you know, if if Swift can, you know, take that pass-catching role out of the backfield, uh, I think that, you know, like I said in the piece, uh, he's viable this week uh, in PPR formats, uh, especially against a really bad Jacksonville defense like we've talked about a lot in this show. Um, and, and also, you know, the, the, the lions have one of the highest implied totals of, of the week. So, uh, that we're not going to see that very often. And, uh, I think that if you have Swift in your lineup, this is the week to, to really think about it. Yeah. The lions actually, they've gone over three out of the four times this year on their total mm. They had a 51, 55 and a half and 51 and a half in their second, third and fourth game, the season. And two of those went over. So, Something something to think about. All right. Quickly for my bus column, um, it is headlined by Debo Samuel, headlined by Michael Gallup, Teddy Bridgewater's on there, so on and so forth. So go and check that out on the front of the site as well. And, Pat, your rankings will be up on Thursday. We will be back here talking about every single game on the Week 6 slate on our Thursday podcast with Daigle, with Hayden, with Pat, and myself again as we have revised it. These were the five questions that we still have through week five. If you enjoy this show, be sure to leave a five-star review, um, a little written comment as well. Did you get the guy at the target to leave one, Pat? I mean, that's the only thing you should be thinking of in that moment. 
I actually, no, I mean, I, in a weird way, he was recognizing someone from the internet, but I was the one who was starstruck because mm-hmm. someone recognized who I was. <laughs> so it was hard to formulate coherent thoughts. Yeah. One day that'll happen to me. <laughs> one day. All right. For Jenny Carter, for celebrity Patrick Darty, I am the forgotten Josh Norris. <laughs> Up the villa. Talk to y'all soon. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.